0: We are testing, we are testing here in the WP Engine offices with Jason Cohen. So Jason, some kind of bad news. Last time I was here, you moved your hand a little bit too much and about half the audio got cut off. So I want to know, are you Italian?
1: I am not Italian. I'm Jewish. And the only thing we have in common is guilt and mothers.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Your name is Jason Cohen. That should have been a debt giveaway. You know, I actually did my 23 Me, and I found out that I, so I've always thought I was Ashkenazi Jewish, but actually I'm Sephardic. A lot of Spanish and Portuguese, which means my ancestors probably survived the Inquisition, which is also why I am so good at asking questions while answering none of them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I like Jewish jokes every Jewish holiday is the same, which is, they tried to kill us, they didn't, let's eat.
0: Is that the story of WP Engine?
1: No, (laughs) but we're not a Jewish holiday, so. Do
0: you know what, over 80% of Americans hate their jobs, and the other 20% work at WP Engine? Welcome back to my, oh my god, I can't, I'm giggling. Okay, we just turned that over. Did you know over 80% of Americans hate their jobs, and the other 20% work at WP Engine? Welcome back to my podcast, Jason.
1: Thanks so much. I didn't realize we employed that many people.
0: So how did you make WP Engine such a great workplace? Yeah. <laughs> Not a giggle, as a serious interview.
1: It just evolved into Jewish jokes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I And we're a I thought we were going to just talk about your company. My
2: video. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's too hard to edit I
2: could stop
0: So Jason, tell me your story. How did you make WP Engine the best company on earth?
1: So what's interesting about the culture at WP Engine is it did not start out as being intentionally good. But then around 50 people, we codified what it was that was good about it so that it became intentional from then on. And so as we grew to now 1,200 people, it really is completely intentional. And of course, it takes a lot of effort to do that in different steps. How do you even say what it is? How do you interview people to see whether they exude the values and culture that you want? And after they're here, what do you do? And what do you celebrate? And what do you tolerate? And then the biggest thing is when there's a difficult decision like firing somebody or something that would hurt the brand or cost us a lot of money, Those are the moments where you find out whether you really have values that transcend those things, like values that transcend things like how much revenue you have. That's when you find out what you actually value, what you actually believe, and that is the culture, whatever, the output of that. The first few hires at WP Engine were already all kinds of different people in terms of gender and sexual persuasion and race and things like that. But that wasn't on purpose. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to have a diverse, the first 10 people are going to be diverse. Never said or even thought anything like that. It just happened that way. We hired people that seemed good (laughs) And and that's what happened. But then what happens is once you have a core that is diverse, what happens is the next person that walks in for an interview looks around and says, oh, there's all kinds of people here, I can fit here. And all of a sudden you start to have a culture, for example, that all kinds of people can fit. And so that already starts this pattern of that, and that starts to become a seed of a culture. It doesn't have to be that culture. There's completely different ones, like we all went to the same school. That's also a culture where it's very clear what it is, but that's just how it happened to start. So that's a part of our culture that those aren't our values, but you start seeing the seed of like whatever it is that's similar at first, whatever that happens to be, that starts to become the seed of what is it to be here.
0: All right. So maybe can you describe WP Engine's culture to me? Can you set the stage for my listeners? What are the values of WP just tell me about it
1: yeah so first of all i think it's interesting like what do you mean by culture anyway like what is that if you have crap on the walls which we do that you could say that defines the culture but what is it like really really so I like to tell the story of the ship that goes around the world as it leaves. I've heard London, I've heard Lisbon, I've heard different places that it leaves and returns to, but it leaves a major city in Europe and it's a wooden ship and it goes around the world. And as it goes around the world, every wooden plank rots and is replaced and all the sails are ripped and replaced and, and so on. So that by the time it gets all the way around, every physical thing in the ship has been replaced. And then the question is, did it go around the earth? Because it's not the same ship, like none of the atoms are the same. And to me, something went around the earth. Like there was a journey. There were people and they went around the earth. And even people are kind of like that because you always have cells growing and dying. Like what is you anyway? Like you're not the same person as you were 10 years ago. Physically, your cells aren't the same. You're like the ship too. The interesting question is like, what is this thing that is persistent even though all the details are different? Whatever that is, it's some sort of quote unquote real truth of what it is. And to me, this is what culture and values are. They're the things that are the same the whole time. That's who you really are. And like in a company, people change. All the people might change over time, all of them. And the product will change and the customers will change. And same kind of concept, it all changed. So what's the same? What is the thing that's persisting besides the logo, which actually that changes. We've changed our logo. Yeah, so what's the same? And so whatever is a constant in there, that must be what it really is. So to me, the first thing about what culture is, is it's what it really is. (laughs) <laughs> with all the other details are don't matter, Is what it really is. Another way to say that, I guess, would be if it was a completely different product, completely different company doing something completely different, what would still be the same is what we really are. So to me, that's what you're trying to codify. I know I'm sort of using the word values and culture interchangeably, which is, I guess, pedantically wrong, but I think of them as similar with the idea of being culture, again, is this thing that you are, like I just described, it's a little nebulous. And the values are the things that you write to codify what it is so you can manage it. And that sounds very operational. It is. The culture to me is this artful what it is. But if you don't intentionally do it, which means managing to it, then it won't be. It'll just be like all big companies that grow into this nothing, this gray nothing that's just working at a big company. It doesn't have anything distinctive. So you have to write down what those things are so you can, again, hire for it and manage to it and so on. So that's what the values are, is trying to codify what are those things, which then when people live them, is the culture of the company. So WP Engine, it's easy. It's on the website. It's on the wall. We even, when we made it, we printed it out in a big poster, and everybody signed it, and that was on the wall, and we redid that every year so that new people could sign it and stuff like that. My favorite one is the first one, which is do the right thing. Now, with all these kind of values, they sound really trite and dumb when you just say the title. Of course, we should do the right thing. This doesn't sound like it's saying anything. One of the problems people have with values is they'll say these generic things like, We do great work. And you're just like, right. As opposed to what? The company who, I mean, sure, a lot of companies don't, but like you would never write as a value. We don't do good work definitely don't do that like you never say that therefore saying it doesn't mean anything we just assume that So you got to say something where if you say it's opposite no one would do that so do the right thing by itself doesn't sound like anything but then we define it next and this is where it gets good and we use this all the time when it's right for the customer and it's right for the company and you are proud of your decision then you've done the right thing that's what we say and the first two are easy the right for the customer right for the company yeah 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 The proud of your decision part is like the critical piece. That's what I like. It sounds subjective, pride. Like how do you measure pride or something? It's weird. But what I find is that you always know when you make a decision or you're doing something if you're proud of it.
0: Some people can delude themselves into thinking they're proud of something. And then later on, they'll go on television and say they are so ashamed and they were only doing it because it was what was in vogue at the time. Although clearly everyone at the time knew it was wrong. I am not going to give any examples at all of it. Do not smile at me. You know why I can't. All right. Tell me what you think about that.
1: It's whether you were proud of it at the moment. There's a lot of reasons why you might not be proud of it now. It could be you changed your mind. You changed your mind about what you think is good or correct. It could be that you learned something like facts that you just didn't have before. It could be lots of things. Again, when you talk about values, you're never talking about solving some specific problem or a rubric for analyzing something. That's too specific, that's for the details. It's a mindset and how we approach life and how we approach what we do and whether at higher level what we're doing is okay. And all the time you do things that you think were right at the time and then it could be two minutes later and you're like, oh wait, 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 wait. But that doesn't mean that you didn't do the right thing because at the time you genuinely felt like it was the right thing. You do know if you feel proud in the moment. It's possible that you convinced yourself otherwise subconsciously, but you do know when you're doing something if someone interrupted you and you were like wait a minute are you proud of what's going on or the decision you just made you can answer yes or no even if you change your mind and so that's the key line but then it goes on after that and talks about things like when we make mistakes but genuinely then that's okay what we do is we're just honest about that and we take responsibility and again this is literally what it says in there when we're honest about that and we take responsibility then we just go on and another thing that people say a lot is well mistakes you just learn so you just learn from your mistakes and so mistakes are okay. And I actually don't think that happens a lot. It's great when it does, but a lot of times you don't actually learn anything.
0: You don't learn anything from your mistakes?
1: I mean, it's good if you do learn something from your mistakes, but I think a lot of times we don't. Maybe you could have done better, but you just don't know how and like just having made the mistake, whatever it was, doesn't mean you know how to fix it. Another thing is sometimes it's luck and you don't know how much is luck or you do and that means there's nothing to learn either. Also, I feel like, especially when there's big things that go wrong, like a whole company fails or a whole project fails. And people are like, oh, well, we'll do a post-mortem and learn from it. And so they do a post-mortem and you go on the whiteboard and you list like, oh, these 20 things went wrong. Okay, so why did it fail? All 20 things? Like if there was only 19 things, it would it have failed? So was it a combination? Was it really just two of them? Also, if you look at any startup that does well, they're, they're doing everything wrong except for a couple of things. Like the code is a disaster and they're behind on everything and they don't know how to do most of the things at the company. It's just everywhere you look, it's a disaster area. And yet something is so good, is going so well that it succeeds despite all that. So what did we learn from that? Those are all mistakes, but we were successful. So what, did we learn something? And again, if something failed, you can think of a dozen reasons. That doesn't mean any one of them is the reason. It says we try to learn from our mistakes because I think you should try, right? But I just think maybe there's these platitudes, which I think when we're either just saying because it's easy to repeat them, it's easy to say like, well, mistakes are okay because you learned. That's a nice thing to think. I just don't think it's true, but it's still okay to make a mistake anyway. We don't need to say because you learned in order to accept that that happens.
0: Very interesting. You know, I think you are the first adult person in my life who has ever said it's okay to make a mistake. Mistake and not learn from it. I really do. I really think you are. Can you tell me about a time WP Engine or you in your role as I want to call you founder, but that doesn't feel strong enough.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, I know. It's right. I just don't like the word founder. I feel like everybody uses it. First it. In. First in. <laughs> Jason said first and you can't hear him because I have the microphone. First in, president, executive founder, the founder of WP Engine. What is a mistake you can think of that you made that you really learned from or didn't? Maybe you just made it and it's in the back of your mind when you're going to bed at night and like you wake up at three in the morning and it's like Duolingo. Like, would you like to review your mistakes? And you think about that one.
1: We had a customer early on and I don't want to name them just because I don't want to give them any extra attention. And they were doing something that is not ethically good. It's not ethically okay. You could say it's on the line and you could argue why it's on the line, as I did, to justify having them as a customer, but you really can't. (laughs) It really isn't good. I want to describe what it is, but again, that would maybe give it away too much. So they had a website where people would mostly and usually or worse, and then everyone would, of course, nobody knew who they were. They were just all day long, all over the site. Furthermore, besides the fact that that already is not nice, obviously, the reason I say that it's not ethical or even illegal is that when someone. That's what makes it actually illegal. Not just even on the line, but illegal. Illegal. They were also our largest paying customer. I want to say it was a month.
0: And This was in your first year of being a startup, right? This is back when, you know, boots on the ground, 10-ish people. Oh, what? What? It was just you. It was just you with this rather nefarious customer who was paying you dollars to do stuff that I bleeped out. Very interesting. So tell me about the ethical dilemma. What did you do?
1: So obviously I was justifying having this because having that revenue meant we could hire more people and then we could do marketing, I don't know, stuff, right? I mean, we had other customers, but the point is like that really puts you over the top. Now, I will give myself a little bit of grace, even though, again, this isn't the category of mistake, so it's not like I'm really justifying it, but there is a true ethical dilemma that we face always, including to this day, which is we are not and we don't want to be arbiters of what content is okay.
0: I have no problem being the arbiter of what content is okay. I don't know. It's like mind place, you got to keep it safe. But as the founder of a company, maybe it's a little different.
1: Yes, it is. And this is another thing that's part of who are we and what are we making? We could have a very opinionated idea of what is acceptable here. Well, we do have a strong opinion. It's called an acceptable use policy or AUP. And that's what all companies do who have that kind of thing. So we have it and we do have an opinion thing. But besides illegal stuff, which is sort of obvious, We have other things on there too, but the point is that we try to only have the most egregious stuff on there and we don't try to have opinions beyond that. Part of that is, I think, if you're going to be a general platform for people to have a voice in the world, of course you can be really opinionated about what goes on there. You can, but there is also a virtue in being a place where if you're in a country where you don't have free speech and this is a way for you to have free speech, that's really important, like with a capital I. And not just in an American free speech First Amendment sense, but just in a general sense of people being able to have a voice on the Internet and therefore have a voice at all nowadays. So that is an important thing as well. WordPress, the open source software that all our customers use, that we're a specialized platform for, the mission of WordPress is to democratize publishing. That's a powerful statement, and it doesn't mean, but only if we like what you say. Also, our mission is powering the freedom to create that also implies an inclusive idea of what that is. I talked before about how we're inclusive in terms of our employees. Well, we're also inclusive in terms of our customers. And I think sometimes, especially on the progressive side of things, inclusive means inclusive as long as you're progressive. That's not what inclusive means. Anyway, this site I would say now is certainly over the line and we would never ever do that now. But I, I wanted the money and it sounds so bad when you say it that way because it should sound bad that way. But on the other hand, it's understandable. You're trying to scrape together and make something work and you can just justify enough about well it's just content it's user generated content so that's not us that's them and we don't want to judge what people do blah 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 like you can justify it to yourself and again I'm not saying I was right in fact I'm saying I was wrong but as you might say it doesn't justify it but it explains what was going on but it doesn't say that's okay. So it was an advisor of ours, Ben Metcalf, who really convinced me correctly that we have to stop. Like it, it doesn't matter how big they are, it doesn't matter. We have to stand for something, we have to have some standards and this is over the line and et cetera. And he was right and so I'm of course abbreviating multiple conversations and things, right? But But he eventually made me see that look, this isn't right, right? And that has to come first.
0: How long were they able to use your platform?
1: I wanna say two years.
0: The month for two years. It's a lot of money. My listeners will have no idea what we are talking about. Just for background, I would say this is probably a six or seven on the morality scale. If I were in his shoes, I probably would have been like, hmm, this is a lot of money. Is it really that bad? But when push comes to shove, yeah, it is. It is. What did your wife think about it?
1: I don't know if she knew.
0: Jason Cohen has had a very long and happy marriage for many Good reasons. This is probably one of them. So tell me about your advisor. What was the conversation like?
1: We have started getting what's called a DMCA takedown notice, which are legal notices that people can give to say, and this is of of all companies online, where they say, hey, someone else is using my copyrighted material, so I demand that it be taken down because I own it. There's a whole law in America which isn't that interesting where you you say that and then the other person has a chance to say the other thing. But the purpose of this law is WP Engine cannot be the arbiter of who owns what. We can't possibly know who owns the copyright of all material on the platform. And that's true. We can't know that. So we kept getting more and more of these notices, take down my thing, take down my thing, which we would. We'd always process it correctly. And this was finally the wedge that Ben used to say, like, look, how many takedown notices do you need to get before you realize, like, this is just bad and probably actually illegal because all the notices are correct, aren't they? And I'm like, yeah, they are. (laughs) like, right. You get one site that's like constantly, this is what they do. This is like their whole purpose. And it seems like it's just consistently and systematically wrong. Like, then it's wrong. Oh, another thing I remember is thinking is something like, look, they're going to do this somewhere. They're going to just go somewhere else and do this, which of course they are ended up on Russian servers, by the way. What a surprise. And of course, that's not a reason to help them, right? Like, again, again, that's not an excuse. That's not a valid excuse. I know that. It's just another one of these justifications you can make to yourself. By the way, we didn't have our values at the time. If we did and I used it, would this have solved the problem? Let's see. Is it right for the customer that we have them here? I guess. I mean, it's good for them that we let them do it. So I suppose so. Is it right for WP Engine? I was, I guess, justifying that it is because money, and you could make the contrary case. Okay, so let's call that it's difficult. (laughs) Are you proud of it? Hell no. And even at the time, of course, I wasn't proud of it. I would never have said I'm proud that they're here, ever. Look, easy decision, then. It's not doing the right thing. They got to go. See how easy it is? So as nebulous as the word proud might be, and yes, you might change your mind about what you're proud of, fine, but that would have solved that problem exactly and would have maintained... Whatever culture it is that we then had, <laughs> you know, later, and, and we would have had that. So it just goes to show how that works.
0: Some follow-up questions. How old were you when this was going on and when WP Engine started?
1: 32.
0: Yeah, you know, my podcast is called I Don't Know Anything, but this is exactly the moral quandary I can imagine a 32-year-old software engineer who just started a company having. They're like, they're paying me a lot of money. It's not my job. Technically, they weren't doing anything illegal. It's not illegal. I have to ask, would you have kept them on as a WordPress engine client if they'd been paying you maybe $1,000 a month?
1: It's really hard to tell what I would do but my guess is no. I really do think it was the money (laughs) which you know again like you don't have to accept that as a reasonable reason. I mean it's easy to say oh you should just do the right thing always and you should. I think that the decisions you make like that are who you are. So what that does is show you that the decision about this customer then bleeds into who's at the company. What kind of people are at the company. That may be fine. You may not care. You may want that kind of people. You may not though. So just You have to realize that these decisions don't stay isolated in one place. They become who you are because then if it affects who you hire and who stays, that is who you are, isn't it? The people. So it continues. And then who are they referring to you? Other people like them. So you get more customers like them, which we did get referrals for other kinds of stuff. And we said no to a lot of those, by the way. Some of those were a little more obviously not things that we wanted to do, but those aren't the referrals you want. So you see what I mean? Like it continues, it spreads. And so you have to decide like, is that what you really want to be? Again, who am I to talk? But on the other hand, maybe it's a good sign that we were able to say, no, it isn't actually who we want to be. And then we weren't. And we really weren't. And then we codified it in things like an AUP or in things like our values to really make sure that for, for the, let's say, 12 years since then, we're not like that, really. So also you can make different decisions. It's right to judge. And it's also good to say, okay, did you really learn? Really? 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 and was your actions for more than a decade after that consistent with you having learned that lesson, never repeating it, and in fact, really inculcating the opposite of that with thousands of people and hundreds of thousands of customers, yes or no? The answer is yes. Judge the whole thing. Judge that and say, oh, that's terrible. And then judge the subsequent dozen years and say, oh, good. None of that ever again. Glad to hear it. (laughs) Judge both.
0: So I do wanna hear about other values. This is the last question I'll ask about do the right thing. How do you feel about how cancel culture impacts startups? Look, when startups are new, Jason just got a big smile on his face. It's really giant. By the way, we're drinking sake out of espresso cups and also coffee. Really fun. Okay, so (laughs) cancel culture. Cancel culture in startups. When you are a founder of a startup, look, you are in your 20s or 30s. You are young. You're making a lot of mistakes simply because you don't know what's going on you are learning some of these mistakes can be embarrassing they can be bad what do you think about that what do you think about cancel culture and how they impact startups and also how harshly should startup founders be judged for their mistakes
1: there are some things which maybe you shouldn't be forgiven for that you should have to go through an intense punishment and i don't know what that is but whatever it is like you deserve it And If that means you can't be at the company, if it even means you go to jail, right, because that's what you get when you do that. Again, I think it's contextual. But what also happens is as you have a position that develops in its power and influence and visibility, whether that's like a creator online or that's a founder of a company where people work for you, et cetera, then a lot of those excuses to me go away. I understand that you're only this old or you've never done this before. I understand you have an audience that's way larger than you expected or way more power than you know what to do with. I get that. But you have it. If you're interviewing someone that's not a white guy, should you be more conscientious about that? Yes. Should you be canceled if you don't hire that person immediately? (laughs) No. (laughs) Right. But maybe we need some more extreme in order to plant the right ideas so that you're doing something that is better than the past, but not extreme. And if you just made the argument to have what I think of as a reasonable position, that wouldn't be enough to affect change. You have to go beyond that and make that case or to affect the change that I think, personally, is reasonable. So in that sense, I kind of see its utility, even if I don't agree. As far as it goes, I still see its utility in maybe getting us all to a better place, and I like that part of it.
0: All right, tell me about the other values WP Engine has. And also, for a new founder, what values do you think instill the best workplace culture? Sometimes, you know, I see companies talk about values they have It's like, what are you doing to prove that you have these values? I feel like I see the same five or six ones on every single startup page. We are agile. We work hard. We play hard. Oh my God, what else? It's just the same. It's the same thing. I see the same buzzwords everywhere.
1: The way you make it a true value first in its words is that it has to be causing a decision, a decision that not every company would make. If it doesn't cause a different decision than every company would make, it isn't saying anything at all because it kind of means it will always be true. So the easy test is you state its opposite. And if anyone would make that choice, then you really are saying something. Let me give you a really good example of that that we did. Because this is an example where we did something that almost no company on earth does. And that means we have the values that we put on the wall.
0: Yes. Tell me, what is this, Jason? What the heck? Tell me this is a very intense look Jason got in his eyes. He was like, this guy's baseball cap on. He was like, This is something no other company would do. It's like a Star Wars movie. What happened, Jason?
1: So, on December 9th in 2015, not that I remember, there was a security breach. We found customer data being sold on a Russian server. That's what we knew. That's all of what we knew. So, something had been breached, and we don't know anything but that. Now, what does the company do when they discover that? Here's what they do they do an investigation for between four and 20 weeks to try to understand everything. And you don't say a word to anyone while you're doing it, of course, why would you? And then at the end of this, with all of the information you can find, you sit down with the security team and your lawyers and your PR people, who you might have also hired to do incident management, and you draft the thing that is technically true, like it would hold up in court, but it is whatever sounds the least bad and the least information and makes you sound the best that you could possibly eke out and then you publish that. That's what you do. And you've seen a million of these. This is why I say almost every company does this. You can go online and see them all doing it. Like just the worst stuff. This is what almost always happens.
0: So when you have an unmitigated disaster that you need to put out a PR statement for, what do you do with your employees? You know, it can be very unsettling, especially if you have employees who are there for the right reasons, who are there because they believe in your company mission and they believe in your values, and something happens that goes against the values. People who join startups join them because they are a little crazy and they are very passionate.
1: What happens normally is employees see exactly what everyone else sees. They weren't privy to anything I just said. That was, remember, a third-party security company who did all that work. So the employees get the same report as everyone else, and it doesn't sound so bad when they say, oh, well, we're putting this in place and that in place to prevent this because it's just a mistake that you should forgive us for. And maybe it is. But anyway, that's how they handle it. However, I just said, is it right for the customer? Is it right for us? And are we proud of it to go underwater and not tell our customers that hashed versions of their passwords are on a Russian server? Hashed versions of their passwords, we didn't store anything plain. But that means hackers could try If you have a poor password, hackers probably have it now. And if you've used it on lots of sites, they have it on that too. And we know that for our customers. We know that hackers have their hashed passwords. And that if they have weak passwords, that means they're vulnerable. We don't know anything else about it at this moment back then, but we know that. So let's go back to our value. Is it right for the customer for us to not tell them that password is compromised and anywhere they use it, people often use the same password everywhere, anywhere they use it is compromised and they should rotate their passwords immediately. Is it right for the customers for us to not tell them that? And are we proud of our decision to not tell them? That's an easy one, right? Again, such seemingly trite words, and yet it's so obvious that it would not be right for us to wait for the investigation to do everything I just said. The right thing to do would be to tell every customer immediately there's been a breach, we're investigating, you need to rotate your password.
0: How would you handle employees being upset about something like that? Like, let's say they all come in, they're all angry. This is about the best workplace. We can't detour. I don't know why you're giggling so much. It was exactly what you did. Your your employees came in. Were a bunch of them upset. They were like, this is not what WP Engine stands for. And you were like, how do you feel about, oh my God. Sometimes, okay, would you ever throw a pizza party? You're like, hey guys, sorry we had this big mistake. Here's some pizza.
1: We said, our values say that we need to just tell our customers now. So in two hours, we drafted all this up. Yes, we had our lawyers. And yes, you know, because you always have to try to do it right but we told our, all our customers very, very quickly. And we didn't pull our punches with stuff. We told them what was up. Now, before we did this, we had to tell our employees because as soon as this goes out, customers are going to call. So our employees our employees cannot be the last to know. So what we did is we gathered every single person who was awake, because we are 24 seven support. We gathered everyone who was at the company and in awake into a big room right over here. I'm pointing at the big room that we are nearby at this moment, that front area.
0: Oh my God, I'm at the scene of a crime. The Chrome is the server. i at the scene of the, the accident scene. I'm at the cleanup scene. I feel like there's some red tape. The announcement scene.
1: So we gather everyone. It's probably, at the time, only like 80, 100 people, something like that. We gather everyone together and we say, here's what happened. And I said exactly what I just said. Completely honest. No holes barred. No pizza parties. No bribing. Just like, here's what happened. There's a security breach. We know nothing beyond that other than in the coming weeks, there's going to be an intense investigation as we try to figure out everything. And we're going to tell our customers because, and we invoke the values just as I just did. And This is why we need to tell our customers, even though it's going to hurt our brand, because our brand is security, and it's going to crush us in tech support. I mean, what's going to happen next is the phones will not stop ringing. The tickets won't stop coming. We're going to be absolutely crushed. And we can't give you any information to tell our customers.
0: Did anyone quit over this with this specific incident? utilized as it and you're laughing giggle fest this whole interview is very serious Jason sounds like a serious incident people come in they're like we're quitting because of this or we're quitting because of other things how would you handle it and how would you establish there's no, Jason keeps saying how, what, look, this is, this is, this is how I was, was trained. Incredible. It's how I was trained as a journalist. It's too, people get really unsettled if you're like, what did you do? If you look at them and you're like, what did you do about this? It doesn't, it's. tell you what we did. Yeah, I know. You keep saying, I'm just, I knew you were a very honest, direct person. I'm just saying that I did not, I ended up majoring in developmental psychology when I was at UT, but I was a journalism student for a year and that was something they really impressed upon us. They were like, when you ask questions about things that are uncomfortable, Say, how would you? Not, what did you do? Directly in the eyes. Jason's like, whatever, I don't care. I'm going to tell you. All right, tell me, what did you do?
1: We gathered everyone together and we said, this is our values. This is what we need to do. This is what we're going to say and we're about to get crushed. And we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. And nobody has to stay late or stay extra, but we're going to get crushed and... I mean, the entire room is just like, we're in, let's go. This is doing the right thing. This is what it means to live your values. Yeah, they came here to actually do the right thing. So what company does the right thing? The one that does it when it's really hard and we're all going to be crushed, all of us together, We're no one's going home. We're all going to stay here and get crushed together because it's the right thing. And that's how you know that is who you are, for real, because it hurts all of us personally to do it. It hurts our brand. Our customers are going to be mad. We don't even have anything to tell them other than what we just said because it's been two hours. We don't know anything yet. So they're going to be mad that we don't know anything. And this is not going to stop anytime soon. And why are we doing this? Because we said we were going to do the right thing and what we're proud of. And we know that doing the right thing for the customer is to tell them so that they can rotate their passwords on any other servers that they may use their passwords on. That's the right thing to do. We're going to take it on the chin for that period. And I mean, people were like calling, like, you know, dealing with their family and kids and stuff. Some people, of course, did have to go home. Other people came back in odd times of night. People were like, I've got to go home for my kids. I'm going to come back at one in the morning. And they would come back at one in the morning, like work till 10 and then just sort of collapse somewhere. I mean, it was just... You could say in a professional sense, it was this horrible time because the brand and the customers and all this stuff. Everyone who was there then will tell you now, everybody, that was one of the most amazing moments and the amazing things and the way the company handled it. We were always honest with everybody and we pulled together and did right, lived our values and was like, this is a company that does that. That thing on the wall, that's for real because when it's hard, we do it. And so that's why I was laughing when you're like, okay, so when people come in and quit, I'm like, quit? Quit? They'll tell you that was like one of the best moments of their professional life. When we quit, that bonded everybody. We were bonded in that together because we really meant what we said. And fun fact to end the story, it wasn't our fault. And when we discovered it wasn't our fault, it was like, if we just said it wasn't our fault, would you believe that? Is it throwing the other vendor under the bus? So... We had to convince the vendor, which was Linode, and I can say that because they then published publicly that it was, so I can say that. We finally got them to publish and admit that it was their fault. So then we were able to point at that and say, see, it wasn't our fault all along. So get this, had we done what most companies did and said nothing, we would have been able to say just one thing at the end. Linode had a security issue. As a result, some customer data was blah, blah, blah. Our brand would never, ever have been tarnished at all because it wasn't our fault ever. We could have had that, but we didn't because we were doing the right thing. And everyone was behind it. Everybody was behind it. Why? Because we were completely honest all the whole time because we were living our values and our values are good ones. The people that were here were like, I want to live by those. <laughs> let's say, let's put it that way, right? And that's how you know. And so that's why I was kept laughing when you were like, oh, so what happens if people quit? And what happens if they don't agree? And what happens if they don't live their values? And what happens if it's like, no, that's what it looks like. Either is that or it's, you know, we, we play hard. And you can see there while saying like, we work hard, but we play hard, would never help you navigate that situation. Oh, you work hard and play hard. What do you do in a security breach? Right. So that's not helping you decide what you do when it's important and on the big things. That's why it's not a value. I wouldn't have it at all because you don't want to have 10 of them. You want to have as few as possible so that people remember them and do them. So you don't want to waste that space with crap that doesn't add to saying, who are you and how do you make decisions when it's tough, when it's difficult. I like to say what we said here, when it's difficult, when it hurts your brand or it costs you money or whatever. Here's another interesting thing. There were customers who said, what? A security breach? I'm paying you not to have those and quit. That happened. But there were just as many customers who said, and I mean said on Twitter, like for others to see, right? Thank God, because we could like retweet it. (laughs) Who said things like, listen, everybody, I've been around for a decade or two. This happens. Wherever you're putting your WordPress site, I guarantee you this is happening sometimes there too. But they're not telling you either because they don't know or they're not being honest. The fact that WP Engine is just like, this happened and we knew it and we told you. Gives me such confidence in them and their security. I'll never leave them. Oh, good. Thank God. Now, that's not why we did it. I told you why we did it, right? (laughs) And if we did make some other mistake along the way, they're more likely to forgive us because they're seeing us who we are and everything. And can anybody or any company be perfect all the time? That seems like an unreasonable bar. So maybe the question now, if if you're imperfect constantly, then then that's different. (laughs) right? And if it's negligence, it's different. But if it's not negligence and it's rare, and then you see how do they handle it. And if you like how they handle it, like that's about as reasonable and good and all in as you can imagine someone handling it. At that point, I mean, that's what we should expect that from humans or companies. We should and not enough do that, but we should expect that. But beyond that, do they need to be canceled also? (laughs) Maybe not.
0: Major security incident. Company had been around for about six years, which Jason told me off Mike, FYI, the response your employees had of staying round the clock to fix it, you know, ignoring their personal lives, that's the response most startup owners want from their employees, but I don't think it's what most of them will get. Tell me about how you created a culture where people stayed around the clock to make sure the security breach had the least amount of impact to WP Engine. What do you attribute that to now?
1: It was the sum of things that happened before that to set up. That moment, right? So, I don't think you do that if you don't like the people you work with. I don't think you do that if you don't trust or like managers or management. You may not be willing to do that if you didn't think that the product you made mattered. We handle other people's presence online, and that's everything to them that's their themselves or their small business or a large business. That really, really means something to them. Also, we're expensive. That means you don't buy our product unless you really care about your website. So, it matters a lot to every customer. That's nice. It gives you a sense of purpose, right? To know that what we do actually matters to our customers, really, in their own minds, in their own words, not because we said it does. Maybe a higher purpose, like democratizing publishing or making sure everyone has a voice online. Those kind of higher purposes are reasons to go above and beyond yourself in service of that. So who thought which of those things? I don't know. Or is it just esprit de corps that like we're a team and that feels good? Another thing is, are you being worked to death constantly? Because if so, when there's an emergency, it's just another day. Or are you not being worked to death constantly so that when there's a genuine emergency that maybe does require an extra surge of time and energy, you're like, yeah, I mean, if it was like this all the time, oh my God, then we're just mismanaged, (laughs) right? But if it's a genuine emergency and we're all pulling together, that, that can be good things in life in general. Like there's a weather problem and everyone in the neighborhood bands together. You'd prefer not to have a weather problem, but it's a real bonding moment too. So it can be like that as long, again, as it's sometimes and not constant. Is management in there with you? Like I was there, I didn't go home for a long time. Right, like it would be really bad if management was like, all right, y'all stay late. See you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right, like, like that'd, that'd be really bad. bad. <laughs> but how many times is that in fact the case? Where's the CEO during all this, you know? Actually, this is not my story, but at LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman, the founder, decided he didn't want to be the CEO and wanted to bring in a professional CEO. They did. That didn't work out. They had to fire that CEO. Okay, then they brought in another one and it was Jeff Weiner, who turned out to be absolutely amazing. Reed Hoffman says that he knew Jeff was absolutely going to be right because I think it was his first day or something, or it was like very early on. And there was a big new release of LinkedIn going out. And people were up at like one and two in the morning, testing it, getting the last bugs out, like making sure everything's good. And he saw one of the most active users was Jeff Weiner going in helping to test, banging this and filling out that form for the hundredth time to make sure it works. And like, He was just in there banging around, submitting bug reports or asking about stuff. And he's like, the new CEO is just like here at two in the morning, banging on the site because there's a release tomorrow with the rest of us. We're going to be fine. So I say that like just being there, you know, as opposed to just hoping everybody else goes above and beyond, but not you. That may be rare, but that means a lot too. So these are all little things. I mean, they say that sometimes, right? That love is the little things every day. Like, okay, well. How do you build this up? A higher purpose, a product that people actually care about, liking who you're working with, trusting the people around you. These are good reasons.
0: Sounds like you think the CEO has to be a little bit of a maniac for this culture to work.
1: No. Actually, if the CEO is always a maniac, that's probably really bad.
0: Why? I mean, if the CEO is obsessed with the product, is always working, is always in the office, is always picking up the slack, how could that be a bad thing? And how might that? And Jason is reaching for the microphone. Here you go.
1: The CEO must not do that. See, it must not be in everyone's business, must not be there constantly working. That's very bad. That's poisonous because that's telling everyone else they need to also. That's really bad. Now, the examples I gave where there's either, in our case, a genuine emergency, which is different, then you're with everybody. That's different than being a maniac all the time. If that's normally the case, that's just a very mismanaged company. You're telling me you hired so poorly and you're managing them so poorly and their process and tools are so poor that the CEO still has to run around picking up slack and doing stuff and staying up all night? That's an incredibly mismanaged company. That means the CEO has not hired correctly, has not hired people that are able to do the job needed to run the company, or the CEO has hired people who are capable and is not empowering them to do it. So that's a terrible sign. Now, if you have two or three people, yes, that's what everyone's doing at a startup. There's not enough time. That's totally different. Early early stage, yes, everyone's a maniac. That's the deal. (laughs) Early on, there's not enough people. You hit 20 people, 30 people, arguably even six. Something's really wrong, and it's always the manager's fault.
0: Do you really believe it's always the founder's fault? Can there ever be something like maybe you hired one bad apple and it really is spoiling the whole bunch?
1: When you say you hired a bad apple and it's spoiling the bunch, there's only one you and that's the manager. And if it's spoiling the bunch and the manager doesn't do something about it, who but the manager's fault is it?
0: Maybe it's an act of God.
1: And then who needs to do something about it next? Like it's okay to mishire. That's okay. (laughs) I mean... Once again, if every other person you hire is a complete disaster, then you're not good at hiring. But if sometimes you hire the wrong person, actually, of course, sometimes you hire the wrong person. Can anyone be perfect at hiring? No way. In fact, if someone made 20 hires and all of them were great, I would guess we're not evaluating them. They're probably not all great, actually. And so again, the manager has a problem and they're not evaluating people properly after the fact. That's not possible either. So again, all of this is the manager's fault. Who else's fault would it be?
0: How would you advise a founder identify who is a good fit for their company culture? What steps could they take? And would you advise them to maybe outsource it to someone else? How would you even go about that? Can you tell me the process?
1: You definitely cannot outsource it. That just means you don't know how to do your job. So the first step in saying, how do I hire someone that matches the culture is to have written it down so that you know what it is. So that's the first thing that usually doesn't happen. As you say, either there isn't one written down or what's written down is silly and isn't useful. And this is how I get to like, culture but then there's operationalizing it so the first thing is to write it down in such a way that you know what it is like we've been talking about the second thing is you can't ask people directly because they know how to answer properly so in other words let's suppose one part of your culture is empathy which means that you put yourself in the other person's position and feel what they feel and understand them that does not have to be a company culture by the way and i'm not saying that it's good or bad I'm just saying that can be something that you have in your culture. Well, you can't ask in an interview like, are you empathetic? So you have to ask in some other way. So what you do is you say, well, this is what I wanna know, but how can I ask a question that will reveal it without letting them know that's what I'm really looking for? One of the things that we look at, and it's right in our values, so it's not a secret, is things like accountability, and you can tell being honest about stuff, right? because I keep talking about that. So one question I like to ask, for example, is tell me about a time where you were on a project that really failed, like it was bad. It did not go well. (laughs) Just talk about that. What was that like? What did you do? And there's people who will say, oh my God, I told them it was bad. It wasn't going to work. They didn't listen to me and they just did it anyway. And guess what? It failed. And so I was like, yep, I knew it. There's those people. And then there's, oh, gosh, you know, we tried really hard and I thought it was going to work. I really did. But turns out this other thing, something they learned and whether they said like, and I learned this or they said, I'm not even sure what I learned because as you know, I don't even care about that. But like, yeah, that was really bad. And I don't want that to happen again, but I'm not entirely sure how to prevent that. Even if they said that, it just totally different. Am I putting myself on the team with the team, even though it didn't go well? Or is it them, 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 and I'm the smartest and they're not? totally different kinds of mentality, that's a culture difference, which a question like that can highlight. My favorite one for empathy though is what Southwest Airlines does because empathy is one of their key cultural values. It's part of how they they believe good service will come from that. Again, like, what's good service? Oh, it's an operational manual. You should do this, you should do that. But what's the culture behind it? Empathy is this thing behind it. As long as you really genuinely care about the other person, you probably don't even need a handbook or a manual because you're just going to have good service because it's going to be in you. So how do they do that? They put people in a circle in chairs facing each other and they ask one by one, they go around and tell a story that was embarrassing or a difficult thing. And they are not watching the person who's telling the story. They're watching everybody else in the circle because when you have empathy and you hear someone telling a difficult story, it is indelibly written all over you. It's hard to say it in a podcast, but your face is squenched up and you're going, ah, oh, and, and like your chest is tightening and your elbows are coming in and your fists are tensing and your, and your, your hand goes over your mouth. And you're like, no. And you're like mouthing, right? You, it's like written on you that you are exhibiting empathy of what's going on. You can't hide it. So that's an interview question for empathy. My favorite one. Another kind of interview question I like is where there really isn't one correct answer, professionally speaking, like different companies will do different things in this case, which is why when you tell me what you would do or how you feel about it, I'll really know how you, again, as I say, make decisions about stuff. Because again, culture needs to cause you to make a certain decision, even when it's difficult. So I like to propose things that are kind of ambiguous, kind of difficult, but very real, not hypothetical, and see how people resolve that difficulty in one direction or another, because that tells me what kind of decisions they make in those situations. And that then tells me what culture fit. For example, for managers, since we talked about managers, let's say you have an employee and they're fine. As a culture fit, they're fine. They're not anti-culture. They're not maybe the biggest beacon of culture at the company, but they're fine. And same professionally, they're fine. Now, fast forward two years. They're exactly the same person. Not better, not worse. Professionally, culture, nothing. They're just exactly the same two years from now. So my question is, is that okay? Is it like then everything is still fine? Or is it, we have a problem because you're not growing, you're not learning, you're not changing. It might be okay to be just fine sometimes or for some of the time. But at some point, you need to, you know, something needs to happen. Or what? Or a third thing? Those are just two of many possible conclusions. What is your assessment of that? What do you do? there's no one obvious correct answer, right? You're really now making an evaluation of what it means to be an employee and a manager. Is learning and growing like an essential part of what it is to be here? Or is it not because nothing's wrong? What is the situation? We know a lot of companies, certainly government is, as long as you don't do something heinous, you can be here forever. So in that culture, the answer is, oh, everything's fine, the end. But in hard charging, super performance, do-do-do-do kind of cultures, the answer would be two years and they haven't grown. Dude, they'd be out of here in six months if I don't see them, bah, 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 bah. and that would be that answer, If and like a hard charging everyone everyone's-going-nuts kind of environment. And there are many other potential environments. So this is why I like the question, because it can go lots of ways, and those many, many examples of all those kind of organizations do exist. <laughs> so I want to know, what does this candidate, what environment do they want to be in? And I'm asking indirectly by asking this not nebulous question. It's a very real, concrete question, but the answer isn't obvious. And it shows me that they expect out of people. That's a cultural question.
0: Jason, how do you feel about quiet quitting? Very obviously, world has kind of fallen apart since 2020. I don't know why. I don't know what happened in 2020 that would make everyone really upset and angry and stressed and maybe not want to do their jobs. But okay, so two parts. How do you feel about quiet quitting in general? And has your view on it changed since 2020 happened? I mean, you've got a teen daughter. Like, I cannot imagine what seeing her in school is like. Just tell me. Not about the school thing, because that's like a site where you can if you want.
1: Are you proud of that? You're at home and you're not really working. Is that good? Are you proud of that? Having said that, I would say it is a trying time since then. I think pretty much for everybody. I don't know anyone who would say they're really thriving, even like 2019. Ah, Yeah, I don't know anyone who would say that. So it's a hard time. I think we have to be cognizant of that. I guess I look at it this way. I do think that energy can ebb and flow. There can be for a couple of months, you're like actually working really hard and all in, and then it's not. And then you are, and then it's not. And I think that's really natural. If you're managing that, and sometimes you're extra in and sometimes you're not, I think that's a healthy, good thing. And at WPension, we would always say, that's what you should be talking to your manager about. You should be saying, like, right now I need a little bit of pullback. But other times you're just all in and saying, give me more, which people do. In fact, I just had a one-on-one last month where someone was like, I want to do more, like put me in. I'm at a time in my life where I want to do more. I'm seeing interesting things happening. Like put me in coach. I want it. This person even said, I don't care if I'm working like literally all the time. I want to learn as much as I can. I want to do good stuff. We don't have kids yet. We're going to, and I want to maximize this. They're asking to do that. Okay. So good. Like this is, this is good. Some people are in that mode and some people are not. And the same person will go in and out of that mode. Now, do you feel safe talking to your manager about it? If no, there's another cultural problem. So most people probably can't. So I can't just tell everyone to do that because, of course, it depends on whether it's safe to do that. However, if we're talking about an ideal, then that's the ideal is that it's okay to have that conversation. There's a plot I once saw, which I really like and I've used for people. So I didn't invent this, but I like it. It's this two by two, which, of course, is the proverbial two by two. But the idea is one axis is negative versus positive feelings. And the other one is this high versus low energy that I'm talking about. And so this person the other day was obviously high energy and positive. That's great. But what I'm saying is there's such a thing as going low energy and positive. Hey, I don't hate everybody. I just need a break or blah, 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 whatever reasons. Maybe we should work through that. And maybe that doesn't have to be silent quitting. Maybe that can be, yeah, I'm pulling back a little. I'm doing some stuff and then I'm back and then I'm back in. But there is such a thing as negative feelings and high energy, which you could argue is like the security incident or just something like that, or maybe a big push on a project where it's like, this is going to burn me out, but I can do this a little bit. You don't want to be in there often or for long, but if it's rare and sometimes then you could argue that's life anywhere, anytime. But then if you're in that negative and low energy, if you're just like, screw this place, I don't care. I don't care about anybody. I don't care about anything. I'm happy to milk this job and do nothing then you're in that double negative spot and there i think if you're honestly like maybe this will pass okay but if you really are like no it won't i'm just going to milk this so they fire me then i would say well i mean you can say stick it to the man or whatever and you can do that but i think if you say like am i proud of that and by the way what are you doing and so i think you have to decide for yourself Am I proud of this or proud of this for a while? If you go through a phase, again, I think that's one thing. But maybe you should find something where you like what you do with your time. In fact, it's interesting, I wonder if similar people who would say, I'm a bad person for letting that bad customer go for too long, I wonder how many of those people are silently quitting and saying, but it's okay for me to get a check and not work. Maybe neither one of those is
2: good.
0: I just have to ask, when you look at your employees, do you see people or products? Do you see them as they are as humans or do you see them as what they can produce for the company? When you look at them and you're having performance questions and you're seeing someone who hasn't grown or changed in a few years, you're like, that's okay. They're just a person. You're like, no, they're not achieving enough to stay here. Person versus product is maybe a weird way to put it. I don't think you're actually looking at them as like computers, but, you know, looking at them as, how do I put this, valuable contributors to your company's ecosystem versus maybe people who have lives and jobs and things outside of work.
1: The answer has to be both. You're here at the company to do something, so that has to be correct. And you're a human. That has to be correct. It has to be. I don't use sports analogies, you may have noticed. <laughs> but this is a moment where actually a sports analogy is good, which is a sports team that's a really good sports team, like the kind where you read about the great coach who always blah, blah, at that kind. Because if ultimately you are bad for the team on the field, then you can't play on the team. Does that mean that if you make one mistake in your position, does it mean if you have a bad season, you're booted off the team? Not in a good, healthy team. It may mean you have to ride the bench a little bit, but you're not gone unless you can literally never play again, in which case, well, we need players. Like, there's a reason we have positions on the field. We have to we have to fill them. Like, just because you're a human being doesn't mean we just don't have as many people on the field. That doesn't work. A good sports team to me is, with with itself having a good culture, that is a good example. The Ted Lasso sports team is actually, to me, the right way to look at it. It is people, and also there is a job to do, so it matters. Heather Bruner, our CEO, has this fantastic phrase, which is General Patton on the decision, Mother Teresa on the exit. So this is what it's like when it's like, no, 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 it's not working out finally. Of course, you don't go right to firing, right? This is after you work on it, et cetera. But let's suppose it's not working out and it's not going to work out, et cetera. You have to be General Patton. meaning mean, it's a very American sort of a thing to say. So it, you have to be firm, forceful, make a decision. That's the decision. You can't be on the team anymore. It's not working out. That has to be forceful. And there's no wishy-washiness about it. But as soon as you made that decision, the entire rest of the time, you're asking, how can this go really well? And this is a person. So for example, they have to leave the business. How are you talking about that with the rest of the team? You can talk about it any way you want. It can be great and celebratory and happy, or it can be horrible and mean and terrible. So obviously you can take one of those tasks When they go find another job, you can be a reference or not. So you could be a reference. You could even help them do that. You can have services to help them do that their last day. You could end it on the beginning of the next month, which in America means you get an extra month of healthcare. You could decide to do that. Of course you should do that. That's Mother Teresa on the exit. You see what I mean? Like just on and on. What story are they going to go home and tell their spouse? Well, you can help that be a good story. There's so many things, some of them are tangible, some are intangible that you can do. But if they can't be on the team, they can't be on the team. Now, again, again, you know race to that decision, obviously. But that is a good example because letting someone go is sort of the ultimate of this question of like, is it okay or not? We have to put people on the field and play the game, but we can't not do that. We can also see the human side of, of folks. Also, some of the greatest moments is when there's someone who's really, really failing and you sit with them and you're like, look, this, that, the other thing. And they're like, I really, really want to do better. I mean, really. And you're like, okay, then we're going to do this. Or we're going to do that. Are you up for that? Are you up for doing this and up for doing that? Because if you're up for it, I am up for spending a lot of time with you too. Like I'll, I'll be there with you, but you gotta work hard. I, I will work hard too. I will spend a lot of time. And they're like, okay. And sometimes it does not work. It just doesn't work out, but sometimes it does. And man, when it does, and you've helped someone really thrive and succeed, you could have easily said, it's not working out here. You got to go and you wouldn't be wrong. You wouldn't even be wrong. It's true. It's not working out. And yet you were like, let's try. And they're like, yes, I'm in. Let's try. And then when it works, we've had people who are now here for eight, 10 years where they went through a period like that. And then like seven years later, they're just still thriving and growing and all this stuff. And you're just like, look at that. That is one of the best things one person can do for another. So there's a lot of talk nowadays about capitalism, bad and all this stuff. And I agree with half of it. (laughs) This is part of the half that can be good it can be it can be a place where people learn something or grow or start to thrive they're not cast away and said well go somewhere else <laughs> you know so that's like one of the amazing things that we can do for each other and by the way is it good selfishly for the company afterwards of course Because here's this person that's now super loyal to WP Engine, loves WP Engine, will tell their friends to come work at WP Engine, right? For a good reason, because we believed in them, we invested in them, worked out. I mean, that's the good reason to be loyal to a thing, whether it's a company or not. (laughs) A thing, an organization, a thing. If the organization or people at it, let's say, really did that, well, that's a good reason to have mutual loyalty, you might say. So this is the good way.
0: What makes someone a good candidate for this? I mean, quite obviously, people can have very different reactions to being coached in this way. What qualities would you say really, you know, because you've been doing this for a while now, what qualities have you noticed that make someone successful in this? And you can't say growth mindset. You cannot say that. Everybody's addicted to that. It's like empathy. You can say it, I guess. Do
1: I use cliches? I don't use cliches. I don't use cliches. I'm not going to say growth mindset growth mindset. No. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Of course it's not entirely wrong, is it? But I'll give you a better answer. There is this thing which I think is a cliche, especially cuz it's both an alliteration and it rhymes, which definitely means it's cliche and probably bad. But I happen to like this one. Attitude and aptitude. Now that was the first time in this whole interview I used some stupid cliche like that. Let's be fair. I do think it's a good way though, because you want to say, "All right, this is really not working out." So, Is it worth us trying to invest in them? And will they come through? So there's two sides to that. Could they? Do they have the ability to come through? So that's aptitude. Like they're not doing it now, but could they? Do we think they have the potential to do it? Now that's obviously a judgment call. Who can know? So you might want to err on the side of being generous there because you don't know. Maybe they don't know either what they're capable of. I find that's often true. People don't know, right? Sometimes when you have high expectations, people reach them and it takes high expectations, which maybe they didn't get elsewhere. Maybe you can be the one to say, I think you can do it, but this is what I expect. And I think you can do it. Let's go. And maybe that's what they needed. And you can be that force that they never had before. Again, what a beautiful thing to give to somebody, right? So, okay, you're trying to assess, do they have the aptitude? And that's tough. Fair. But you still have to assess it. And then attitude. Are they all in? It's going to take work. It's painful to get feedback. It's hard to learn. It's hard to fail. It's hard to make more mistakes. Often it's in front of other people this is really hard. They're going to have to really want it. So do they really want it? Once again, to sort of assess what they say. Often when you sort of pose it in these ways, a lot of times people are like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do all that. Like they'll, they'll honestly be like, I don't want to go through that. You know, like, so that that actually works. But if they say, yeah, yeah, no, I'm all in. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Sure. You're still assessing. Do you believe that? Again, it's a little unfair because how can you? So maybe you should be generous. Same thing applies, but okay, you still have to assess. But if you think those two things are there, I think they really could. And I think they really want to. Well, there you go. You check the boxes. The other thing is they need support from someone else. Just the fact that they want to and they want to work, but who's going to help them? So this is the third part. When we're in these conversations, maybe there's a room full of people. And what I like to say is, who is the one who's raising their hand saying, I'm going to spend many hours a week with this person? Who's that person? And if no one raises their hand, then it's not going to work. Because if we just say, give them some more time and no one's helping, then it's not going to magically change. But when someone says, me, I'm excited to do that. I like them. I believe in them. I really believe in them. And I've liked working with them. I want to spend time with them. Ding, 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 ding.
0: So it also helps select for likable people at your company.
1: That's an interesting point. Likeable. I have personally raised my hand and worked with people who I didn't like in the sense of I want to hang out with them afterwards for a beer. But I saw that they could do it, I saw that they wanted to, and I wanted to do that, even though I'm not sure I liked them in that way. However, having said that, I agree with you. Is this an example where someone who's likable, quote unquote, or other things, do they get an advantage? I would have to say yes. How could it not be? Certainly it's true that some people are just generally more likable than others, just like in this very broad sense. I mean, we all experienced that in high school, right? We got to see who's what. (laughs) Okay. So maybe that's just something that's unfair. I don't know. I actually don't know. I think that's a really good point. It's probably simply a bias that helps certain people. Like many other kinds of biases, that's probably just simply what it is. Yeah, probably.
0: I have to ask, Jason, because we're talking about biases. How much do you feel like physical attractiveness plays into someone's success at a company?
1: Well, there's a lot of data showing that that's true. So I think it's hard to deny that. And other things, being tall and being likable. I mean,
0: Being a tall man with a giant watch. They run everything. Oh my God. So annoying. They're just like walking around with their giant watches. They're like, look at me. I'm a tall man with a giant watch. To work on things. Of course I can work on it. I'm a tall man with a giant watch. I've always gotten my way. I've been president of the United States. God, okay.
1: It's funny you say that, but that shows how that's not likable for you and something else is. And so that shows, I know, I know that. I
0: I like them fine. Well, maybe,
1: or maybe you'd you'd be happy at a place where the person was that.
0: I like our president right now. Fine, he's telling me with the giant watch. Literally runs our country.
1: See, and 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 like people will be listening to this for the next fifty years, and it'll still be true so there's no doubt that there's biases and of course it'd be better if there's not because usually the biases aren't on things that are actually useful for the team or the company or even selfishly for the company like we want to make more money okay great then you want a salesperson who's good at sales and if you hire a good looking person and they're not as good as sales that's worse for the company right so even just selfish money company capitalism you don't want to actually want bias you want the best sales people right so bias is actually not good even if you're quite conservative and, and just want money i like money there are ways to eliminate some kinds of bias and so it's useful to find those. For example, there was a really interesting thing in physics. They submitted it to a whole bunch of journals, which is the only way that you really get a name for yourself in physics, like you have to get in journals. So this is an important part of your career path. They took, again, the same paper and in half of them they put a man's name, the other half they put a woman's name. They submitted to all kinds of journals and the man's paper was accepted five times and the woman's paper was accepted zero times. There it is. It's a bias. Do you want to deal with this bias? Obviously, because you want to publish the best papers, of course, don't you? A very unscientific-minded person would surely agree. A Vulcan would surely agree. We simply want the best papers published, right? So whatever bias would prevent that, we would want to eliminate it. Good. How do we do that? By having papers without names. Now, that's not the only bias, but, you know, okay, who cares if we can just eliminate it so easily than just freaking eliminate it? So that's what we do with resumes in engineering at WP Engine. We don't have names on it, and they take certain tests, they do certain things without names attached. It's just some number. Now, by the time they get to the interview, we need to know their name so that it's not, you know, at some point you have to know someone's name. Okay, but we can delay the name until later in the interview process. That will eliminate that particular bias in that particular part of the process. So, isn't that smart or shouldn't you do that? I mean, again, even if you are super anti woke and you hate all that, right, you don't want to bias against the people who are good, for period, right? It's those kinds of things where hopefully, I, w- I would hope that most people would agree because that's not even about political affiliation. That's like even just selfish for the company's benefit. We don't want that bias. What we say is there's no silver bullet that eliminates all this, but there are a lot of lead bullets that we can shoot that make it a little better each time. So that's what we should do. We should make it a little better. It's not some magic solution, et cetera, but we can make it better and why wouldn't you?
0: Two questions. One, speaking of anti-wokeness and personality fit, Jason, have you ever looked at someone's social media and not hired them based on that? And I'm I'm just excluding, like, obviously, no one wants to hire someone who's used racial slurs or has got, like, majorly problematic stuff on the internet. And we're not even going to get into that for the interview. I just mean someone you go on Twitter. And maybe they are posting very inflammatory stuff, like that sweaty startup guy on Twitter. Would you hire someone like sweaty startup where he's like, children of divorced parents are not successful? I'm successful. Excuse me. Okay. So, sorry. Side Would you hire someone like that or would you not hire them based on their inflammatory social media presence?
1: First of all, we have hired people like that. We've hired people who are very conservative and very progressive. If you believe in diversity, then maybe you believe in that. For example. So, where does it cross the line or what doesn't work? One is there are some people whose job is more public and more of the voice of the company. The next thing is how much power do you have at the company? What do I say on social media? I don't comment on any of that. Could I? Maybe. But I'm very mindful of anything I do like that will alienate half the company. And then I'll say different things that will alienate a different half. Now, you could say, you should do that anyway. You should be opinionated. You shouldn't care. People should be able to have an opinion. Blah, blah, blah. That's childish. When you have power, when you have a a real audience or something, it does matter what you say, in fact, and you are responsible for that. So the people, depending on their position in the company, then it does matter more because if they're across like 400 people and they're going to alienate half of them, then they're not going to be able to do their job very well. And anyway, maybe it's not a good culture fit. Yet another thing that doesn't work is sometimes it does get personal one-on-one. We have had times where one employee has lashed out to another employee on social media, etc. Now, again, you could even say, well, sometimes that's none of our business and that's fine, but sometimes it affects work. And it's like, look, at some point, this is just too much. Even then, that doesn't mean someone's immediately fired. It depends on the thing. It could be immediately fired. It depends on the thing. We have had incidents in person too, where people are immediately fired. (laughs) Like it can be atrocious.
0: (laughs) Jason, you cannot say this kind of stuff and not give me examples. Like what is the thing you'd be like, fired, you're gone, out of here, Uh, off the bench, out of it, you're putting all your stuff in a box and you're getting walked out by security versus like, oh, that was just a mistake. It's fine on social media. Just delete your post. We're not mad. There's just a little slap on the wrist. Tell me, what's the spectrum?
1: The only way would be immediate, and of course we do an investigation, but I mean immediate, immediately following that, but there's no second second chance is what I mean. Anything that's an HR violation, in person especially, anything that's illegal, any kind of threat of violence, any kind of sexual harassment, knowingly doing something from a security perspective, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean you almost can't you almost can't not accidentally do something there's <laughs> intent matters a lot Let, let's say for example you installed a keylogger on someone else's computer there's no accident about that that would just be completely nefarious doing cocaine at work
0: jason how else am i supposed to say so slim i'm just kidding oh my god i've never done that can you imagine like me on cocaine i feel like that would just take be... <laughs> I just cannot imagine what I would be like on it.
1: You'd be your own huge watch. So like, there, there's certain things. We're just like, okay, well, after we make sure it's true, of course, then online, there's never been something online where it was just absolutely no investigation, no doubt. But there has been where the person's like, well, in that case, I'm leaving and that kind of stuff. If it's you know bad but recoverable, it, it depends. Sometimes people opt out anyway. They're too embarrassed. They don't want to recover, but sometimes they do and they can. And that, again, that can be good. I do think you take into consideration the person if you have someone who's. 19 this is their first or second job they do something really stupid it's recoverable though you know is that something as opposed to like you're 41 you absolutely know better you don't get to hide behind the cover of these kinds of things you also have a power and responsibility that's different and therefore yeah of course the standard is different of course the standard is higher you don't get to say i didn't know that or i just slipped out like you you don't get to say that at some point and and so i think i think that's right to do
0: So when you talk about workplace expectations and cultures, there are things I want to ask. I have to know, how does WP Engine handle workplace romance and what would you recommend startup owners do? And also, is there a difference if someone is a new startup and it's maybe 10 people and someone breaking up is going to potentially tank the company versus a bigger company? Just tell me your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I think no matter what your policy is, you don't really get to decide what happens with that. I do think it's good to have a formal policy that's like, hey, don't do that. But the truth is, People will do that and a lot of times it's actually okay. But I think it's good to have a policy that says, hey, don't do that so that if it goes not okay, the company can say, all right, see, remember we said that wasn't okay? And so it gives the company a little lever to do stuff. People are adults, you know, it's very hard. So it is true that that happens a lot. It's also true that it's really easy to commit sexual harassment at work. And so the line between that sexual harassment and hey, we're like legitimately flirting or wanting to go somewhere with this. What is that line? That's really tough. And so it's unclear what to do with that. And and maybe Maybe the answer is whatever the two of them felt is the answer but it, it's kind of nebulous and then it puts the company in a tough position and like you don't have to feel sorry for the quote unquote the company but it's just a matter of policy what, what do you do with that like is it okay because people said it was okay because that's not how sexual harassment works so if you're in HR in a company like exactly how do you navigate that is not clear I think it is fair to say that it is complicated but on the other hand, just saying like you can never do anything ever is just not realistic.
0: The difference is how close someone is in age to, you You know, as a woman in the workplace, if someone's within five years of my age and they ask me out, I'm like, whatever. But someone 25 years older, I'm like, HR, 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 I'm going to call the police. What do you think about Meta and other tech companies where it's like you can ask someone out once, but once you ask them out, you can never ask them out again. What do you think about that?
1: I think it just goes to show how silly it is to try to make a policy about it.
0: That's a great answer. How do you handle workplace drama? Like, how do you prevent workplace gossip? And what advice would you give to someone to stop workplace bullying?
1: These are very different things. You don't stop workplace gossip. (laughs) Of course people are going to talk. Maybe strive to have a workplace where most of the gossip is okay. (laughs) You don't stop it bullying is a whole different thing. I mean, to me, bullying isn't equal or equivalent to sexual harassment. But from a policy perspective, it's analogous in that it's just not acceptable, period, the end. And so you should have some general definition of what you mean by it so people understand what's not acceptable. That's fair enough to to state this is not acceptable. You know, if someone says, "I, I didn't know that and they legitimately didn't, well, okay, So you don't want that to be a right defense. So since you don't want them to be able to say, I don't know what bullying is, you better tell them what it is. That's that's fair enough. So it isn't sexual harassment, but like sexual harassment, you need to define what it is so that you can say you cannot do it.
0: Very interesting. All right. Speaking about workplace drama and conflict, climate change is making the world a whole lot hotter. Right now, we are looking at everyday Americans losing jobs to AI, to outsourcing overseas and more. We can clearly see the impact of the competition for earth's dwindling resources happening everywhere from interpersonal relationships to on the world stage look decent i go to a grocery store it's like five thousand dollars for bread i want to say i am generally optimistic about humanity and what we are all capable of but i'm also pragmatic about what humans are like and what the world is like actually i have an example of something that happened to me very recently that is applicable to this conversation as at the farmers market there is a stand there it's closing down but they sold The best gluten-free bagels it established that we are both jewish so we love bagels i pick the three bagels that are left and i just pick them up and the woman behind me grabs one of the bagels out of my hands looks me dead in the eyes and says i was gonna get this bagel it's relevant to our conversation because it's like i feel like i see that stuff happening more and more now people are more competitive like you just it's 80 degrees it's february Jason, what happens to these amazing company cultures when there's a limited amount of real work for people to do? What happens when they have to fight to keep their livelihoods safe? Like what happens when what's at stake is not just creative control over a project or your ego, but quite literally whether or not you will get to feed your family? What do you think will happen and what do you think organizational leaders should do?
1: Well, let me really quick solve uh, climate change and society and global and AI. So obviously I can't and I'm not qualified to talk about most of those issues anyway, like how to fix climate change. Not that you asked. But in terms of work, I do think we're at this interesting crisis where there's more people than ever and people need work. And even in Western countries, it can be hard to make ends meet in a way that, not that it was always easy, but in a way that's different. And then AI is coming to at minimum dramatically change the nature of work, but probably eliminate most jobs like it already is starting to do. And the whole like, but it'll create more, It will create more, but it's not clear if it creates the same amount. And even if it does create the same amount, they're not the same kind. And in past upheavals like that, like in agriculture in America, I guess elsewhere too, but I just know about America, and the Industrial Revolution, they were equal upheavals where like most Americans worked on a farm and now... 3% 3% of Americans work on a farm. That's an enormous upheaval. The difference is that it took decades and decades, and AI is not taking decades and decades, and that makes all of the difference. So it's not like, we've done this before, it'll do it again. Yeah, if you said we had 70 years to get accustomed, custom, it would still be an upheaval, but we could manage. I, I would actually then be arguing we can manage, but that's not what's going to happen. It's going to happen really fast. So like in geologic time, in a blink of an eye, and that, it's not clear how we manage. So, having said all that, I have had a thought that comes from Bertrand Russell more than 100 years ago in his pins example, as in making straight pins. He had this example of a pins factory. And he says, so the pins factory has workers and metal comes in one side and pins come out the other side of the factory and they sell them. And that's the pins factory. I'm obviously paraphrasing. Then he says, okay, now a new technology comes and now we can make pins for half the price, or we can double the rate of production of pins. However you want to say it, it's twice as efficient. In other words, however you'd like to put it, what does the factory do? Well, one thing the factory could do is it could make the same number of pins and fire half the people. That's fine for the company, but bad for jobs. This is what AI is doing right now. Another thing the factory could do is same number of people, but double how many pins they make okay, at least everyone still has a job. So that actually sounds really good. The company makes more money because they're selling more pins. Everyone still has a job. That sounds pretty good. That actually sounds like a pretty dang good use of the same technology, the same efficiency could be taken in that form. Another thing you could do is produce the same number of pins and have the same number of workers, but they just work half-time. and get paid the same though as working full-time. That's another way you could take this efficiency of making pins. Company actually makes the same money as before. It's actually no skin off the company's back, but everyone's working 20 hours a week instead of 40 if we're just making up modern day numbers and the company's fine. That's another way to take that bounty that the new technology, the new innovation creates. So what this is demonstrating in very real concrete terms is the wonderful thing about technology and innovation is it makes us more efficient in ways like this. It does. And that is good. Actually, a foundation of capitalism is because innovation creates more value in the way we just said. Every circumstance I gave is more value. It's just, where does the value go? Does all the value accrue to the company and people are out of work? Does all the value go to the employees and the company does not keep any of it, but employees are much better off? Are the employees neutral, but the company makes more money? These are all ways to take that value and put it somewhere. Of course, you could also have combinations. This is just an example. And so what we decide to do with the very real physical value that technological innovation creates, where we put it, that's up to us. It's up to each company or organization. It's not really up to the workers who don't get to decide where that goes, is it? So when I hear people saying capitalism is bad, what I think is, I agree with half of that. The part of it where the innovation and the sufficiency happens and creates value is good. In fact, it makes everyone richer for real. That's why the world in general is so much less poor, so much healthier so much better off. That's part of the reason. Also, all the negative things people say about capitalism, I also agree with. Also, the exploitation, the power imbalance, I agree with that. Also, they can both be true. It can both be true that it creates these innovations that create value and also doesn't put the value always in the place where we want it to or isn't spread out enough, etc. They can both be true. But what that does to me is it shows, ooh, can we keep the part where we make innovations because that does make the world richer in very real, measurable ways. But is it allocated right? No, it's not, I say. It's not allocated right. Here's another funny one because you might say, see, companies are evil. They just keep it for themselves. But that's not true. This is just what humans do. The invention of the washing machine, incredible invention, saves a bunch of time. Like the pins example, it takes the labor and time of clothes washing and dramatically reduces it, just like pins efficiency. But this time, it's not a company who receives the efficiency. It is at the time, let's say, housewives. Now, of course, that's not nice to say now. But when that came out, that was the deal. The wife cleans the clothes and this saves the wife time. So, of course, we wouldn't want to say that now. But look at that. That's the language of the time. Okay, historical record, historical fact. So what does the wife do with the efficiency? Well, at the time, you would wash clothes maybe once a month because it's really labor intensive, really hard, etc. You wash clothes once a month. But now you have this labor-saving device. What does the wife do with the new innovation? Just like the pins factory, she has choices. She could wash clothes once a month, but barely take any time to do it relative to what it was, and get time back. You might expect that's what she would do, get her time back. But that's not what we did. You don't wash your clothes just once a month, right?
0: Jason, look at me. Do I look like I would be someone that would be like, one time a month, going to wash my clothes? Come on, I'm very clearly oppressed.
1: Exactly. None of us do that. Well, okay, none. There might be some... Almost no one makes that choice.
0: You work with engineers. I think some of them make that choice.
1: This is a fair point. <laughs> but yeah, that's not what most people did. They took the efficiency in washing clothes all the time, relatively speaking. I could wash my clothes once a year, but I'm going to have an even higher standard of living rather than save my time with this technology. So it's not just the evil companies. We all make these choices. And a lot of times, maybe most of the time, we choose a higher standard of living. You could eat in any number of ways, but we choose to eat like better and better. We take all kinds of stuff and we choose, generally, higher standard of living, not saving time, having more free time, having time to just stare out the window, having less stress, not working as much. We don't choose that. We choose more. Now, we don't have to choose that. And so the, here comes the rub. The idea of killing innovation is very bad because that's what buys us those things. But I think with AI, you look at it or like quitting at work, or like you said, silent quitting. It's a form of saying, I'm taking some of this in the form of working less. Maybe that wasn't a full mutual thing, and that makes it a little bit more dubious about how this goes, but you can see people saying, maybe I want that choice. So I think as we go into the era of AI, which of course I do not want to predict and cannot predict, surely it's an upheaval of jobs, and we have more people than ever, we have to feed more people than ever, all this kind of stuff more than ever. At the same time as we have fewer job technology, it gives us efficiency, it gives us possibility. We probably need to make different choices about how we use it. And some of that is, you know, does that need to be mandated? How much of that is economic? Maybe we'll be forced as societies through this AI. We will be forced to decide this or make different choices in whatever form it takes. But ultimately, these questions of where do jobs come from and what are they like and what kind of lives do we want to live? We may be forced now to make new decisions that we weren't forced to make before. I can't prognosticate, but if we can keep the innovation part of capitalism and other parts of our society that rewards that, we need that so that we can have these extra, but also we need to put it in, in new places.
0: You're always such a great guest. So I'm going to ask you a series of items related to workplace culture, specifically for startups, and you're going to say fashion or disaster, or very quickly how you feel about it. So let's start. Just pour Jason another shot of sake. I never said I was a role model, and we're going to talk about it. All right. Remote work. Full-on remote work. Fashion or disaster.
1: It's fashion if the company's built like that, and it's from scratch and its DNA, and it's a disaster if, if people bolt it on.
0: What do you think is the best then, remote, hybrid, or full on RTO? Just in general for a startup with 10 people, just starting.
1: Not hybrid, because then the people who are in the office have a different relationship than the people who are remote. And in that case, they really are remote, meaning they're not there. So you have inside jokes and you know each other and they don't. And it's just a really bad imbalance when a team is half and half. So either everyone's distributed or everyone's together. Not something where some people are the haves and then the remotes or the have-nots.
0: Flexible working schedules versus just a 9 to 5. What do you think about people being able to work from 4 to 7 a.m. and 9 to midnight? I feel like that happens quite a lot now versus just a 9 to 5.
1: I hate to keep saying it depends. It depends on the job.
0: Jason, gut instinct, what do you think is the best? Remote or an office?
1: The office.
0: Open layouts versus closed-off cubicles
1: open layouts.
0: Flexible working schedules versus a nine to five. And by flexible, I mean people being able to work whenever they want if they get the work done versus everyone being in the office from nine to five.
1: Flexible is so nice for your own sanity and health, your ability to take care of your family and yourself, being able to go to the gym in the middle of the day when other people are not. I mean, these are great things in life.
0: What do you think about dog friendly offices? Fashion. Fashion. Cat friendly offices. Disaster. Disaster. That's right. I always recognize when someone else is a fellow cat hater.
1: I have a theory that being a francophile and being a catophile are correlated. Like if you if you have three cats, then you like quiche.
0: One final question. How do you handle personality conflicts in the workplace? Like let's say you have someone who's highly structured and rigid in work approach, maybe older, with someone who is flexible, creative. Younger. Maybe they're brunette. I don't know. This has never happened to me in my life. What do you do, Jason?
1: The strong teams are the ones where everyone's a different puzzle piece. Everyone has different tabs sticking out and different gaps, but they fit. In other words, their strengths and weaknesses match. And so as an entire team, they have every strength. And as an entire team, the weaknesses Well, you know, they're allocating themselves and and handling themselves so that it's not showing. Now, of course, I'm describing an ideal, obviously, because it's easy to say like, well, it's best of both worlds. Obviously, it's actually quite hard. But when you do it, that's what you get. Obviously, if no one was creative, that would be a bad team. And if everyone was creative and, and it was hard to get organized, that would be a bad team. So to me, it's almost obvious that like, of course, of course, we need creativity. And also we need to be organized. And also we need to care about numbers and also we need to care about the important things that are not numbers, whether that's human things or or still business things like being competitive and being on the cutting edge is not a number, but it's very important. To me, it's like, of course, all those things. And then then you say, all right, well, find a human being who is really good at every one of those things. It's like, well, that doesn't even exist. So how are we going to have all those things that we clearly need? You're going to have different people that are puzzle pieces. And together, we are going to have all these things. Together, we'll be complete. But how do we work together? Yeah, we have to be able to work together. Values are helpful. They're not the total answer, but they're helpful. Maybe if we can see the bigger picture of how that is, that's good. If we can see each other for our strengths and weaknesses and value our strengths and laugh at our weaknesses. (laughs) Oh, wow, you suck at that. Give that to me. I'll do it, right? I will say sometimes it doesn't work out and people just can't work together together. Okay. You have to take it situation by situation. We had a situation where there was one person who was all about the feelings and doing the right thing and culture and just, you know, blah, blah. And the other person was just mechanical metrics, numbers, efficiency, measurement. And let's just say they had to work together and it was just complete oil and water. And one of the, it was definitely like one of them's definitely leaving. There's no way we got them together. We got talking through the things. They each, in this big meeting, understood the value that the other person could bring, and realized, oh, if we're missing the other one, that would be bad. And they realized, oh, we're both required here. <laughs> it became this incredible relationship. I mean, bonded forever. They were here for many years and the teams that they built consistently had the best morale. I mean, we could measure all this stuff and the most participation in company things because they were teams that really did have both because the leaders really deep down valued both the left brain and right brain aspects of life and it was just this amazing thing like oh my god because you guys worked it out and valued each other's strengths rather than like no it's only this no it's only that you don't care about this you don't care about that you built one of the best organizations ever and and anyone who was in there will tell you that everyone will tell you that that's how universally obvious it was that that was right because you got to run a business and you got to have numbers and you got to yada yada and it's got to be about people and it's got to be about culture of course that's the best case but it was a real case that's why i say if you can find those strengths if you can value the strengths in each other, actually value like, oh, that's valuable and I don't have that. If you can get to that point and say, geez, if we had both, <laughs> if we had both, you know, and that, that's what you want to get excited about. Like, wait a minute. Now, if you don't value the other person's strengths that you'll never get there and then, then it won't work out. But if you can get to where you're like, oh, I value what you do. I don't do that. I'm not like that at all. But, oh, we need that. We also need me because I do this. You're like, yeah, 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 we need that. You get to that point and you can say that out loud. I mean, you're just cooking. And I'll take that any day over some team that's like, everyone's one way. And they may be very good at that one way, of course, but they're not well-rounded. They don't have the other stuff. I mean, a well-rounded team will beat them.
0: That is why startups work faster than the American government. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast, Jason. It was amazing to have you here.
1: Thanks. I always love doing this because the questions are almost always different than anything I've been asked before, which is good. At least it's fun for
0: me too. All right, everyone. Have a good night. Jason and I are skedaddling i <laughs> uh...